All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this privilege of being here this evening, of gathering together and, and just being able to fellowship, Father, in the good name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for truth that sets us free, and thank you for always making it available to us, and then for blessing us out on a night like this in a place where we can enjoy peace and quiet uh, and solitude as we worship in this most important of ways. Father, we pray for those in the congregation that are suffering. Uh, our prayers go out to Jackie and her family. Um, that We pray that she be strengthened and her family be strengthened during this difficult time. Uh, we pray also, Father, for those that are still lost in this world, uh, without hope, that they be humbled before it's too late. We are most grateful and thankful for your son's work on the cross to make an evening like this even a reality for us to rejoice in. We do just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, life is good because God says so. Fantastic uh, message on Sunday. Uh, was it really just a great reminder for all of us that this is why life is good, because God says so. Uh, on that, here was our opening uh, passage on Sunday. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18 reads, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. <clears throat> That's what God wants for you. He wants you to rejoice always. He wants you to be praying without ceasing. He wants you to give thanks in all circumstances. And all circumstances, of course, covers the good, the bad, and the ugly. Some days are, you know, fantastic and you're doing cartwheels. Uh, some days are a test. Um, and what God wants for you is to give thanks in both of those circumstances. And not even unequally, equally. Be grateful in both circumstances um, because God has a plan for you. Uh, here's our conclusion from Sunday's message. It really was the mainstay of the message that life is good. And this is not conjecture, it's a fact. God says so. It's not conjecture. It's not because we had a good day. It's not because certain circumstances have led us to that emotion. It just is. Life is good. Uh, we referred to uh, James 1.17, 2 Timothy 2.19-21, Philemon 1.4-7, and Philippians 4.4-9. So I want to review the supporting scripture now. Up here on the board, I'll do a lot of the work for you this evening. Uh, James 1.17 in the Amplified <clears throat> reads, Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. That just settles all accounts, doesn't it? Every good thing, not most good things, no. Every good thing and every perfect gift is from above. It comes down from the Father of lights, the creator and sustainer of the heavens, in whom there is no variation 
no rising or setting, or shadow cast by his turning, for he is perfect and never changes. Beautiful. Upon this passage alone, we can immediately conclude that since God and, or excuse me, God is good and God is eternal life, then the life that God has is good. God is good, God is eternal life, then the life he has is most definitely good. Well, the story doesn't end here, though, does it? We, too, as believers in Christ, have been given this perfect gift from above called eternal life. Go to John 6.35. John 6.35. We're already only one step away from our conclusion that life is good for us. John 6.35. John 6.35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. That's the same life we just talked about with God. And I will raise Him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about Him because He said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. <laughs> that just makes me laugh. The point is that we should have eternal life as believers in Christ. Same life we just concluded was good. Same life that was or is God's. So there we have the baseline theology in support of Sunday's message theme, life is good. But let's not end there. Let's complete our review. Again, here's our pivotal point up here on the board that life is good. This is not conjecture. It is a fact. God says so. Here's the second reference passage up here in the board. 2 Timothy 2.21 Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Honorable use, set apart as holy, useful, ready for every good work. That's fantastic. That alone says that life is good. That alone says that we have a purpose. I want to give you a little perspective now. Being set apart as holy and ready for every good work is a privilege, not a duty. Okay? It's a privilege to be set apart. It's a privilege to be this way, to be ready for every good work. Some of you are like, oh, every good work. You know how that goes, right? Walking old ladies and going to church and 
you know, you know, the adolescent in us starts moaning as soon as we see the word work. But you know what? These things, they're privileges. They're not to be viewed as duties. And if you believe that life is good, if you have that attitude that life is good, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That it's a privilege, not a duty. You've been privileged with this ability to be ready for every good work. So with all the emphasis from our current mainstream series uh, in tow, that is, the Lord is our confidence, we must remember that being made ready for every good work, also known as obedient or obedience, again, being made ready for every good work, a.k.a. obedience, is a privilege granted to us by God. It's a privilege to be able to obey Him. It's a privilege to be set up this way for every good work. So life is good because we have this grace gift of obedience. That is so antithetical to human thinking, is it not? Life is good because we get to obey. I thought life was good when we get to you know, disobey. <laughs> not those, the, you know, those are the party times, right? That's when life is good. No, no, that's bad. That's what leads to destruction. That leads you back to bondage. Life is good when you can live right now in the now with an attitude of life is good. Do you understand? Knowing uh, these things about your purpose and your existence here, even on earth. So, again, life is good because we have the grace gift of obedience. Now, here's a twist to average Christian thinking. God didn't have to give us holy commandments to live by. Imagine that for a moment. Imagine if we didn't have the commandments in the Word of God to live by. He didn't have to give them to us, correct? He didn't have to do anything. He didn't have to grace us out with them, in other words. Imagine if you didn't have commands in the Holy Bible. Things, you know, our, 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 our directions. We didn't have, we had no directions from the Holy God of the universe. That's awful. So he graced us out with things to obey, with commandments. In fact, in light of the word of God, commandments from God are heaven-sent grace gifts that we ought to thank him for every day. We ought to thank him every day for commandments. How many pulpits are going to teach that this week? Probably not many. I don't know. But therein lies the plague, even among Christian churches. So, just to add a little seasoning from previous messages to our review here, up on the board, obedience is a grace gift. That's a whole, I don't want to use a, techn- a weird term, but it's a whole like, paradigm shift, right, for most people. Whoa, wait a minute, obedience is a grace gift. I thought obedience was like a chore. And then when I did my chores, my Father in Heaven was happy. No, that's the wrong attitude. Obedience is a grace gift. You are privileged with it. By grace, God has given us commandments and the spiritual energy to obey them. Obedience is a blessing meant to sanctify us. The more we understand this, the more we rejoice, pray, and give thanks. Allah, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18. That life is good. 
Again, obedience is a grace gift. By grace, God has given us commandments and the spiritual energy to obey them. Obedience is a blessing meant to sanctify us. And the more we understand this, the more we rejoice, pray, and give thanks. We know that's God's will for us and that life is good. I hope you see the connective tissue the Spirit just laid before you. All right, let's get back to our review up here on the board. Life is good. Again, this is not conjecture. It's a fact because God says so. We looked at the intimacy that Paul wrote to his dear friend Philemon also on Sunday. I'll give you the amplified version of that. Philemon 6 and 7 in the amplified. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective and powerful because of your accurate knowledge of every good thing which is ours in Christ. In every good thing which is ours in Christ. In other words, that's that life is good attitude. We have so much to be grateful for, so much to be thankful for, uh, that it's a wonder that we ever even need this kind of encouragement. But we do. He said again, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective and powerful because of your accurate knowledge of every good thing which is ours in Christ. And don't miss the fact that he says your accurate knowledge means he learned these things, just like you, you all are learning them tonight. You're better off an hour from now than you were, you know, 10 minutes ago when you started class. Why? Because you're learning these things. These things are being impressed into your souls. Those, they're yours to keep. And they will help you with that attitude that life is good. He said, For I have had great joy and comfort and encouragement from your love, because the hearts of the saints, God's people, have been refreshed through you, my brother. So Paul is just pouring out uh, his, his uh, affection and his adoration for Philemon. Now he's about to ask him a favor, but <laughs> no, nobody knows that part. He's kind of buttering up a little bit. Nobody? Onesimus? Scott knows? Anyways, he was pouring out love and adoration um, and, sh and, and bonding with him in the sense over the fact that life is good and that Philemon uh, was sharing that attitude with others. And Paul found it very encouraging, uh, which when we see this in each other, this is the life is good attitude. It's, it's um, infectious, right? Um, the Spirit has asked us all um, to reflect, or He asked us on Sunday at least to reflect. Isn't it wonderful, as I just alluded to, isn't it wonderful to be around someone who's madly in love with Jesus? Isn't that just the best? There's no... Um, there's no eggshells, there's no, uh, nothing to trip over, no one's feelings are getting hurt. Um, none of that garbage that we typically have to deal with with people. Oh, here comes so-and-so, don't say anything about that. Right? Or don't say anything about the cake. She burned it, it was crusty, we ate it, we all laughed, she saw us laughing. <gasps> don't say anything about the cake. <laughs> right? Oh, God, get over it, people. Just love Jesus for crying out loud, right? You're alive. You have purpose. That's the kind of person I want to be around. I'm not saying I want to be around myself sometimes because that's not me. I want to be around other people that it can infect me 
with that kind of an attitude, that are just happy to be alive. So isn't it wonderful to be around someone who's madly in love with Jesus? And for the sake of this message and Sundays, let's say this type of person has this life is good attitude. Let's just put pin it on them. They have this life is good attitude because they're madly in love with Jesus. Well, we don't have to look very far in Holy Scripture to find this attitude being encouraged in all of us. For example, go to Philippians 4.4. 4. Philippians 4, verse 4. We don't have to go very far. It, doesn't, it, it shouldn't elude us. It's not that person that I just described. There's nothing special about them other than their humility before the holy God of the universe. That's it. That's what makes them special, if you want to call it that. That's what gives them that attitude of life is good. Uh, they could be uh, you know, broke on the side of the street and have that, or, or rich and live in a mansion and have it. It doesn't even matter. None of that stuff even matters. What matters is uh, their attitude about life and that life is good. It's not exclusive to anyone. That's the point. Philippians 4.4 4. <clears throat> Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. In other words, do them. Don't just talk. You don't just say that. Oh, yeah, life is good. Huh? Yeah, life is good. And you don't mean it because you don't, you don't really know it. Maybe because you haven't been studying the Word of God. Maybe it's because you've been a little defunct. Maybe you've been straying a little bit. I don't know. That's how it happens in my life. That's what the Bible says. You stray away, you lose the blessings. You come back to Him, you gain the blessings. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Do you see the, the, uh, the predecessor there? Practice these things, and this will happen. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Hmm. Again, life is good. This is not conjecture. It is a fact. God says so. Now, here's a good time to emphasize, again, the fact, fact, that life is good. And I emphasize the word fact here because that's precisely how God wants us all to understand it. If we struggle as individuals to understand this very basic fact about life in Christ Jesus, then we have to step back. That's been the encouragement. Then step back. You don't arrive, you don't, you don't get saved, and then you have this, whoo, life is good attitude the rest of your life. You're sanctified in that direction. That's why usually the most mature people, it's the most evident in. Usually. It's the older people, not always, but usually people that have been around 
for a while and have studied the Word of God. Not always, but common enough. So, again, I emphasize the word um, fact here because that's what God wants us to all understand about this attitude that life is good because life really is good. So if we struggle with this, we have to step back. If a fact exists in Holy Scripture and we still aren't abiding in it, what shall we say? If a fact exists, if you read, if you read a page in the Bible and there's a fact staring you in the face and you still don't abide in it, you still don't get it, let's say, you still don't live in it, what shall we say? This echoes back to all that wonderful labor we did together on the concept of, of knowing. Remember that? Knowing. Jesus Christ, I don't know you. There's a difference between knowing and truly knowing. So if a fact exists in Holy Scripture and you still don't understand it or you still aren't abiding in it, what shall we say? If the fact that life is good exists in the Holy Bible and you still aren't living in an attitude of life is good, then you have to step back. What shall you say? What, what about you? What, what's happening? Why don't you share that same attitude that that person we talked about that we all like to be around has? Why, why, what's missing in your life? This echoes back to that label we did on the concept of knowing where truly knowing someone is different than just knowing of them or that they exist in this world. Or you might even be able to, you know, quote certain facts about someone. People do it with Jesus all the time. Oh, yeah, Jesus, he's my Savior. You've got zero fruit. Zero. And you have no problem never confessing a sin like ever. Because you don't have any, you know what I'm saying. You don't know him. He doesn't know you. Truly knowing someone is different than just knowing of them or facts about them. Case in point, go to Matthew 7.21. Matthew 7.21. Just a little trip down memory lane to spark your memory on all that work we did on knowing. Matthew 7.21 Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. So we have a, he's talking to them, right? He's, he's fictitiously here. He's, he's looking forward. He's saying, it's not that I don't know these people, but I don't know them that way. There's a distinction. Again, the reason for our little trip down memory lane on the topic of knowing is to amplify the fact that we might hear a fact stated clearly in Holy Scripture, but due to a variety of reasons, we may not know it fully. 
We may not know it fully. How many, unless you've been, unless you're deaf, you've heard me say life is good, right? Maybe you still don't know it yet. That's the point. You know it is. You, you say, all right, I'm convinced of it. Obviously, it's in the Bible, but I don't, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not feeling it yet. I'm not, I'm not getting it yet. I know what you're saying, but it doesn't yet apply to my life. I'd love for it to apply to my life. I'm looking forward to it applying to my life, but not yet. That's what the Spirit's getting at. You may not know these things fully, which is perfectly okay. So don't come wailing down on yourself. Oh, I don't know why I'm such a loser. Stop it. Everybody takes time and everybody grows at a different pace. And you have no idea. Some people grow really fast in one area and really slow in another. And then vice versa. And you have no idea what those areas are. And you might just see something visible and be like, there they go again. Oh my They're always sanctified. <laughs> Does anybody talk like that? Probably not. They're so sanctified, right? And I'm just slugging. You have no idea. They could, be, they could go home and be miserable wretches. All you, so don't do that thing to yourself. Don't get all condemned. Remember, competing always ends badly. Always ends badly. So due to a variety of reasons, we may not know it, which is to say that in the most practical of ways, we don't experience it. That's what the Spirit's saying. We don't abide in it as a conviction that directs our life, sets our priorities, etc., etc. To know Christ, who is eternal life, as He is also God, is to know that life is good. To know Christ, He's eternal life, is to know that life is good. You get it? So you don't have to worry about, oh man, what i got to do a doctrinal study on eternal life. No, you don't. No, you don't. Learn about the person and his work of Jesus Christ. Focus on him. That's, he's the focus point. He's the focal point for us. Not all the nuanced doctrines and the things people fight over and the theologians can never agree on. It's him. Everything you need to know about life is him. Is in him. We draw everything from him and through him. Our relationship with God the Father is through him. Everything we need to know is in Christ Jesus. That's why it's an awful, awful thing to think about that there are people in this world that won't read the Gospels and think Jesus is speaking to them because it's from some other dispensation or something. It's awful. It's awful. That's literally the quickest way to get you hacked out of a relationship with Him and knowing Him. Again, to know Christ, who is eternal life, as He is also God, is to know that life is good. That's why there's such an emphasis in the Bible on knowing. We shouldn't ever shy away from that. Ephesians 3.19 in the Amplified, and that you may come to know practically through personal experience the love of Christ which far surpasses mere knowledge without experience that you may be filled up throughout your being to all the fullness of God so that you may have the riches or the richest experience of God's presence in your lives 
completely filled and flooded with God himself. Ephesians is a mind blow. If you're ever feeling low, go read Ephesians. I'm serious. If you're not, if you're feeling down and and kind of beat up and you need to pick me up, read Ephesians. We even looked at a very, on Sunday, a very technical statement in the Bible up here on the board. John 17, verse 3. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This precipitated the following principle up here on the board. Knowing Christ is everything. It's not enough just to know of him or who he was historically or even that he died for the forgiveness of sin. To truly know him is to know that life is good. That's the point. You want to get there, you want to arrive, you want that attitude, that abiding attitude, the one that lasts instead of that short-term one. You know, you come to church, it's like, ooh, then you leave, and you're like, ooh. It's like, ooh. No, you want the, the one that abides, then you have to get to know Jesus. And he's always available. He's the best friend, like, hands down, not even close. The best friend. You don't have to even call him up. You know what I mean? You just talk to him. You just spend time with him. He literally is your best friend. That fact alone should make you, let's be honest, have a life as good attitude. The fact that you have a friend that will never leave you or forsake you. How about that? That will love you no matter what, with all your warts and your bumps and your bruises and your ugliness. Uh, He loves you. I don't know about you, but that really has a habit of getting me out of bed in the morning. And then I think about him, and he just says, hey, let's go live for somebody else today. What the, the, can I share something with you? I, I sh- uh, okay. Some, someone's going to laugh at me. All right? I'm going to share a little strategy with you that I use. Whenever I'm having, like, a crappy day, you know what I do? I look for somebody to help or somebody to encourage or to do something for someone else and it happens this fast done no more bad day literally that's my strategy my mind starts you know you know how it goes my mind starts drifting into like bad things right it happens i go nope you need to find somebody no seriously find somebody do something nice for someone and i'm not talking about being religious you know what i'm saying encourage somebody text them call them tell them you love them Anything, anything to live for somebody else, and you will be shocked how quickly everything turns around in your life. You start heading towards the doldrums and the depression, you know, you're kind of like, oh, you know, it's a bad day or whatever. Find somebody that you can pour some love into. Seriously. It works every single time, just like the Bible says. It's unbelievable. It's the greatest remedy of all time. It doesn't cost you anything. You don't have to drink it. You don't have to smoke it. You don't have to do anything. All you do is just say, I'm going to live for somebody else right now. Life is good. Why? Because I can obey that command. Is it not a command? Yep. I get to obey the command. 
And look what happens, bar never. It always works. Always, every time. It's a good strategy. I get laughed at, but hey, maybe some of you will adopt it. <laughs> to truly know him is to know that life is good. If you read your Bible and are humble to what you find there, it's fair to say that there's just no escaping the fundamental truth that life is good. All you have to do is read your Bible. That's it. Not rocket science. Even if you choose to disagree with a message like this, here's what I have to say. The truth is immutable. It never changes, regardless of whether or not a person agrees with it. You might say, no, it's not. Life's not good. You don't know my life. God says it's good, so I'm going to go with God. You can have your pity party over there. I'm just saying, and then they get mad at you, right? You don't know. I just wrote a blog on this, by the way. The truth never changes. Whether or not you agree with it or not is not the issue. God says life is good. You know what? Life is good. To give this life is good attitude additional legs, so to speak, we can also contemplate simultaneously that this is a fact that has always existed with God before humanity or the angels even existed. Life was good. It was at this point in Sunday's message that the Spirit got very practical with us again. And he put this question on the table. How can a believer who's had a good attitude about life suddenly become downtrodden or depressed? How does that happen? How do we go from being life is good attitude to something much less? How does that happen to well-intentioned people even? Well, here's one surefire way that can happen. And if DJ wasn't sick, maybe he'd come out and do his happy dance. I'm telling you, Sunday he was getting fired up. Familiarity. This is one way I am convinced of is the reason why so many people lose this attitude that life is good. It just goes poof as soon as you become familiar. To become familiar is to lose one's perspective. It may just be the greatest disease of all, plaguing believers in Christ. When we become familiar with the word, we lose our life is good attitude. And I sneak in a little maturity principle in there because it takes a little bit more connective tissue. This is tantamount to disobedience. Again, familiarity. To become familiar is to lose one's perspective. It may just be the greatest disease of all, plaguing believers in Christ. When we become familiar with the word, we lose our life is good attitude. And this is tantamount, same thing as disobedience. Here's a passage that helps with this perspective. Go to Hebrews 1.3. How about this for perspective? Hebrews 1.3. I mean, there are myriad ways that we 
lose our perspective. There's a thousand and one ways every day that the kingdom of darkness specializes in taking you away from your good perspective, which really is tantamount to your life as good attitude, which really is tantamount to your obedience. Hebrews 1, verse 3, just for some added perspective. He is, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. What? Yes, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. In other words, lay terms, Jesus Christ is in control. How quickly do we forget? How, how quickly do we get familiar? Yeah, yeah, Jesus is in control. Yeah, yeah, Jesus loves me. Yeah, yeah, bleh. yeah, yeah, church is open. Yeah, yeah, the ball guy's going to be there. Yeah, yeah, the, everybody around me is going to be there. Yeah, yeah, my Bible's going to be there. Yeah. You follow what I'm saying? What the heck's wrong with us? I just listed like five blessings. I could have kept going. Except I keep getting made fun of by the same person. Seriously, though, how quickly do we forget? Up here in the board. More on this topic of familiarity. Don't just say life is good because of this or that thing that exists in your life. Say it because you know that every facet of it is truly good because it has been designed by God to be good. That's, a, that's that shift, you see? We're all in that funk. We're all in that, we're trained to think, oh, life is good, you know, when it's good. Well, you know, like, you know, like when my, my team wins the Super Bowl, that's when life is good. Or, or I get my new car, or I get my new tattoo, or whatever it is you got, right? That's when life is good. It's, it's, it's periodic, it's, it's temporal, it's uh, transactional. That's when life is good. That is a terrible way to think about this. It's the wrong way to think about this. If you think that way, that's when you become familiar. Right? That's when you become familiar. That's why you don't do the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over and over every day because it gets worn out. Right? Every transaction eventually wears out. It's welcome, right? loses its newness. It's no, it's no longer a, 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 a shiny new toy. Some people treat friends and loved ones like that, which is really sad. But that's completely backwards. Familiarity. Don't just say life is good because this or that thing that exists in your life. Say it because you know that every facet of it is truly good because it has been designed by God to be good. In keeping with the practical guidance the Spirit's giving us here, we mustn't allow the kingdom of darkness to steal our attention away from the basic facts about life in Christ. They don't have us anymore, right? We've been, we've been made new. We've been purchased. We are Christ's. The best they can do is distract us. The best they can do, the kingdom of darkness, is to distract us away from our relationship with Christ, to frustrate God's plan for us. That's the best they got on us. 
And if they can get your attention away from the basic facts because of something stupid, like becoming familiar, that's exactly what they'll do. That's exactly what they will promote in your life. They'll keep showing you other shiny new objects from the world. Man, you've been doing this thing, you know, dun, 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 dun. but look at this option. You've been reading your Bible every morning, but if you just went to Starbucks 10 minutes earlier, that cute girl would be there. You know, the one who gives a crap about Jesus Christ, but she's cute, you know. You could buy her a coffee and like try to woo her and all that good stuff. You see what I'm getting at? That was, I forget, that's the universal for talking. <laughs> we mustn't allow the kingdom of darkness to steal our attention away from the basic facts about life in Christ. As we just noted, Jesus Christ controls history and everything in it. That includes the history, listen, that includes the history of your life. Not mine, not just a general statement. Oh, you know, Jesus controls history. Everybody's life. You know, it's like one of those, like, ooh, we're in a, we're in a big flock together. We just sort of like, no. This includes the history of your life personally. Do you know what I'm saying right now? No? I mean, really no? You don't just hear it and you, you know it? Your life was on Christ's heart before human history even existed. How about that? He was thinking about your life when he chose to humiliate himself. He had your life on his mind when he hung whew, on the cross. Your life matters to Jesus. Do you know it? I mean... Do you know what I'm talking about? Your life matters to Jesus. And the difference between a good attitude and a life is good attitude and not one in this moment is whether or not you understand what I just said. If you truly know. Have you forgotten your value to him? Has the kingdom of darkness distracted you from this very truth? Has it gotten you to stray yet again into darkness? Has it enjoyed winning small battles that leave you and those around you scarred? My advice is to check to see if you've become familiar with them. I think you'll know what you'll find. My bet is that you have if you've lost your life as good attitude. It's impossible. It's impossible to be madly in love with him, and I mean in every sense, and not have a life as good attitude. The only time you lose that attitude is when you become familiar with him and you say things like, he's always going to be there. But the cute girl at Starbucks, she might not be there. He's always going to be there. And then he just becomes like a little... Um, you know, that rebound guy type thing? You know, now he becomes a crutch. Now he becomes that guy. He's the guy you go to when you're crying and you're sad because all these other little escapades didn't work out. You know, for like the hundredth time. 
He's the, he's the rebound guy because now you're familiar with him. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. It's what we do to our parents, the, the ones that love us the way they're supposed to. We become horrifically familiar with them. Horrifically familiar with them. And we abuse them, for lack of a better term. Because we come familiar with them. We become familiar with them. So my bet is that if you've um, lost your life as good attitude, you've become familiar with Jesus Christ. And to our previous example up here on the board, on familiarity, to become familiar is to lose one's perspective. It may just be the greatest disease of all, plaguing believers in Christ. When we become familiar with the Word, we lose our life is good attitude. That is tantamount to disobedient. Now, I need you to concentrate. We don't have a whole lot of time left, but now is a good time to concentrate. I think too many of us base our relationship with Christ on temporal observations. Temporal, meaning, you know, things that happen now, the time-based. We base our relationship with Christ on temporal observations. In other words, we have that Janet Jackson attitude, what have you done for me lately? We lose sight of the fact that there's a mountain of good work God has accomplished in us. A mountain. Just read last week's blog titled, Being Too Hard on Ourselves. All it takes is a good, honest look at your life, say 10 years ago. Maybe less than that. Maybe five. I don't know. Maybe one. Maybe one year. Maybe one month ago. I don't know. But that's all it takes for you to remember and stop being familiar with the fact that God is working good things out in you. You'll quickly see that God has been at work in you. Seeing such things really helps with regaining our perspective. Sometimes that's just what it takes. It's why this, this particular spiritual gift exists, in part. It's just to remind you, hey, look out the window. You see way back there? That's where you used to be. You know, the, back there where the road's all rutted and filthy and muddy and, you know, pitted. And You remember back there? Remember that? Remember you forgot to get on the bus and you were running after the bus and you skinned your knee? Remember all that that happened last year? It's all it takes, just a little friendly reminder to regain perspective. Truly knowing that Christ is looking out for you, one of his precious sheep, and reflecting on all that he's done for you and in you, well, it gives us the perspective we need. But as the Spirit's been pointing out, it's opposite from what the world gives us for suggestions regarding our perspective. The world wants us to focus on all the bad stuff that's going on in this world. That's why I, I'm, I can't even watch the news. I think you need a TV, but anyways, I can't watch the news. I mean, up here, I don't want to. If someone turns the news, I don't even look at it. It wants us to be jealous that we're not a part of it. Hey, remember when you used to be part of us? Remember all the good times back in the day? 
It wants us to be jealous of where we used to be in the world. It wants to rob us of our peace and contentment and gratitude for life itself as if God hasn't been taking care of His own. And the only way it can convince us of such lies, remember, we've already established that life is good, is a fact. So the only way it can convince us of such lies, the only way it can do this thing, is to tear our eyes off of Christ. Again, up here. This time in the Amplified, Philippians 4, 8. Finally, believers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable and worthy of respect, whatever is right and confirmed by God's word. Mm. That's called integrity. You're going to read that in the next blog as well. Whatever is confirmed by God's word, whatever is pure and wholesome, whatever is lovely and brings peace, whatever is admirable and of good repute, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think continually on these things. Center your mind on them and implant them in your heart. Whew! How do you say that any better? But here's what occurred to me when I was preparing this message. If you look at Philippians 4.8, doesn't it describe Jesus? Doesn't that describe Jesus? I wonder how many Christians read this verse and say, Whoa! That's Jesus! I'm supposed to be focused on Jesus! He's literally the manifestation of everything there in print. Everything His Spirit uh, inspired to be written down for our edification. It's Him. I'm supposed to be looking at Him. I'd be willing to bet the percentage that say, that's Jesus. Until a moment like this where some bald guy says it to you. I'd be willing to bet the percentage is very low. Why? Because humans are plagued with thinking about even the greatest gifts from above in worldly terms. In worldly terms. By worldly scales of value. That's the plague. Here's a warning against that in Holy Scripture up here on the board. Acts 17, 28 and 29 in the Amplified. For in Him we live and move and exist. That is, in Him we actually have our being as even some of your own poets have said, for we also are His children. So then, being God's children, we should not think that the divine nature, deity, is like gold or silver or stone. Don't do that to Him. Don't bring Him down and measure Him by earthly scales of value. That's the plague. That's how you would become familiar with Him. An image formed by the art and imagination or skill of man. In other words... We should never think about God through an earthly lens. Again, we should never think about God through an earthly lens. If we apply an earthly lens to God, it follows that we will apply 
an earthly scale of values to the things of God. Which is why we can, we can read Philippians 4 8 and, and not see Jesus. Some of you, you know, I'm not throwing, I'm not pointing to anybody, but it's possible, and I think it probably happens. Focus on the things that are good and noble, and you look in the mirror and you go, that's me. <laughs> right? <laughs> you're, you're your greatest fan. It's like, whoa, wait a minute. If we apply an earthly lens to God, it follows that we will apply an earthly scale of values to the things of God. Could there be a more egregious error? Could there be? Again, I'm going to ask you to concentrate. We've only got like five minutes left. Hang in there. To truly know God, we must see Him on His terms, not by world standards of measure. Again, to know God, to truly know Him, we have to see Him on His terms. We have to meet Him on His terms, not by world standards of measure. This goes for every aspect of our interaction with Him. So don't just pigeonhole this message somehow. For example, when He blesses us, what shall we be looking for? External blessings or internal ones? What might we look for? What would, what would be the first thing we should be looking for when we presume He's blessing us? Years ago I taught, it's not so much what the blessing is as it is what we think about the blessing. You guys remember that? I think I called it something like first and second order of blessings and stuff like that. When I was still making up words, you know, to be doctrinally savvy. What a moron. But the truth remains. The truth was correct. It's not so much what the blessing is as it is what we think about the blessing. In other words, the great blessings in life occur between our two ears. They are not street addresses or riches or reputations or any of that. God might bless you that way, but it's what you think of it. That's the higher order blessing. You understand? It's not that he did something fabulous for you. It's what you think of it. Some of you, can, some of you I know are, are, are uh, pretty darn intelligent people. Well, that was a grace gift. Well, what do you think of it? If you're honest, most of the time you think, I'm pretty snazzy. I'm pretty sharp, right? Pretty this or pretty that. Look at me. Instead of saying... God gave me these wits so that I could bring glory to Him. What a gift that is. To be able to think this way. To be able to reach out to someone. To be able to um, manifest Christ in a certain way. Maybe the way that Paul did with his intellect. Maybe I can get to a certain, I get to a certain seat at a table because of it. Maybe that's not your blessing. Maybe it's some other blessing or this one or that one. And all you can think about is, how do I get a seat at the table with someone who needs to know about Jesus Christ? 
It's what we think about the blessings that count. The thing that truly sets us apart from the rest of the world as believers is that we know Christ, which means we have the very mind of Christ. That's 1 Corinthians 2.16. Go quickly. I've got a few minutes. Luke 9.58. Luke 9.58. Luke 9:58 This is freedom people. This is what it's all about. Luke 9:58 And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Okay. Um who had more genuine peace? And contentment than Jesus? No one. And he didn't have a home to speak of. The animals had homes. And who had more genuine peace than Jesus? Hmm. He was just satisfied with doing the will of God. Remember, that was his food even. That was his sustenance. This is my food. To do the will of the one who sent me. That was his thing. He was just glad to be doing that. We've reached a crescendo here in our message that echoes back to Sunday's message. I said this, but I didn't have it captured. The life is good attitude. It's transcendent, not transactional. It's transcendent, not transactional. And I'll leave you with this. Please spend some real time pondering this point. The world with its Janet Jackson attitude requires a constant feeding of so-called shiny new objects in order to be sustained. In other words, blessings from the world's perspective are completely transactional. Even love is transactional in the world which is why so many people make the, make the mistake thinking that sex is love when such an abomination can never be true. Again, life is good attitude. It's transcendent, not transactional. I want you to think really hard on that point. How the world looks at these things from a world's perspective Blessings are truly transactional. It's what have you done for me lately? Come on, that was last month. I'm over that. It's not even shiny anymore. Look at it. It's dull. Some people treat humans like that. That's not the case. If you want a life as good attitude, if you want to abide in that thing, you have to transcend. The only way that's ever going to happen is for you to get to know the centerpiece of the Bible, that is Jesus Christ himself. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of studying your word, for encouraging us this way. We just ask for your blessings as we take these things back to the privacy of our souls and our homes. And then maybe, just maybe, with your will in view, we take them out to this world that's decaying. Father, we ask this and we pray on these things in Christ's precious name, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. Thank you.